0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. If you were to uh, go out California and get up high into the Sierras, somewhere around 5,000 feet and up, you will see uh, those giant redwoods, the sequoia forests, um, just as thick and tall and impressive as they can possibly be, those things around the base are somewhere around 35 to 38 feet in diameter, which is just unbelievable. And they stretch up somewhere 250, 300 feet tall, uh, which is an amazing thing. And uh, those things have lived for two to three thousand years. Every time I think about that, I think about the fact that some of those redwoods were saplings when there was a baby crying in Bethlehem's cradle. And if uh, they are 3,000 years old, and there are some that are 3,000 years old, do you realize those things began to grow about the time David was king of Israel? Now, as amazing as that is, you can go to a museum there that they have, and in the museum, you'll find a cutout. They'll have a cutaway section of one of these massive trees, 2,000 years old. If they're 2,000 years old, I want you to listen to this. They have survived 110 to 120 different fires through the last 2,000 years. And you can tell it. I don't know if you, know, you can see this, but up here to the top left of that tree You see that little band that is right there? It survived a fire right in there. That tells you several of those uh, fires, it survived. It got just a portion of this side of the tree. Uh, The interesting thing is this, is that those trees have natural insulation. The insulation is this, bark that is two feet thick the bark on those redwoods runs somewhere around two feet thick and insulate that tree. Now, for 2000, 110 to 120 fires, where everything else was wiped out and wiped away, those trees survived. They withstood the fires that are so prominent in California. Now, here's the question. When a fire breaks out in your life, what insulates you? What's the insulation in your life, around your life, when there is a financial fire that breaks out? When you're sitting in your office and the morning mail comes and you've got a pink slip in the mail? What insulates your life then? What insulates your life when there is a marital disruption uh, in your home, in your marriage, in your life? What insulates your life when there is a parental disruption? When there's something that goes wrong with one of the kids? When something goes wrong inside the home, inside the family, what insulates you? That, what insulates you in a life that is constantly burning with stress and anxiety and disappointment? What insulates you against the disappointments of life when you don't get what you want, when you don't get what you have counted on? What insulates your life at that point? Well, Paul to the church in Galatia, writes, and he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I call them the fruit of revival. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we've looked at love and we've looked at joy, and now you're going to come to yet another of these fruits of the Spirit, which is peace. That is what the New Testament tells us insulates the believer's life in the midst of the fires that we experience, especially interpersonal relationships. Now, let me just keep you there in Galatians for just a moment before I get over to uh, the, the, where I want to take you to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, there were two things going on in the churches in Galatia that were real fires raging in the churches. One was a heresy, and the heresy was this uh, that Jesus Christ was not all that you needed for salvation. You had to add to Jesus Christ. All of these works, you had to add festival days, you had to add circumcision, you had to add dietary laws, you had to add to Jesus Christ all of these regulations, all of this ceremony in order to be saved. Now that was heresy. Paul is going to tell them that, that it is Christ plus nothing. In fact, he even says, if an angel shows up and tells you that there is something else you need to do, you need to understand that angel is not from God. The second thing is this. The second fire that raged there was some kind of interpersonal issue that was going on with the people there in the church. And I want to just show you that. I want you to look there in Galatians chapter 5 and listen to what he says beginning in uh, verse 13. Let me just begin with that because he talks about freedom. How free are we? Don't let your freedom turn into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. That was the first of the gifts. Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. He is pounding this idea of love here. By love, serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You don't need all of the ceremonial law, all of the civil law. You don't need all of that to be saved. He says it's summed up in one thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But now watch. He sets this verse up. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you do not uh, consume or be consumed by one another. Now, the little word bite right there is I'm almost certain dakon in the Greek. And the word dakon in the Greek literally describes the bite of a serpent. Now, here's the interesting thing, that he's talking about the fruit of the spirit, but he's talking about the bite of the serpent. He is pitting the serpent against the spirit and the spirit against the serpent. So he goes from what that does. Now, let me give you another little insight to that. In fact, if you got uh, your Bible, look over to James for just a moment. James uh, chapter three, and listen to what James says. He starts off in chapter three talking about the tongue, and I think this is part of what Paul means back here in Galatians, is if you bite And if that is the word, and I'm certain that it is, to describe a venomous serpent, a venomous snake, and its bite, he talks about, James talks about how dangerous the tongue is, how it cannot be tamed. And he comes in verse 8 of James chapter 3, and he says, no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full, look at this, full of deadly poison. He's thinking about the snake as well. He's he's got the same concept that here. Do you realize your conversation about your brothers and sisters in Christ and about this church can spread venom through the congregation? Yes, pastor, we realize that. Yes, and amen, yay and amen, that our conversation can damage the fellowship of God's people. That's exactly what he's telling them here in Galatians chapter 5. It's exactly what James is talking about. There is a poison that can come from our tongue that will destroy life, if not kill it altogether. And there in the churches of Galatia, this is exactly what Paul is saying. You've got two fires. What insulates the believers there against the fire of heresy and against the fire of somebody's wicked tongue in the fellowship? peace. The whole thing is peace. Now, you say, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure I see that. Well, good, because I'm going to explain it to you now. Go to Philippians chapter 4 and look at the immediate context of this passage that Kirkwood just read. The immediate context is this. Chapter four, Philippians, verse one, therefore, my beloved brethren whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He just keeps calling them beloved. You're beloved, you're my beloved, you're my beloved. Now he comes, this starts a new pericope right here. Here is the immediate context of uh, of verse four, five, six, and seven. He says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche, now, in the Greek, literally, it reads um, euodia, uh parakaleo, sentiki parakaleo. What it says is this, euodia encourage and sentiki encourage, literally, to call alongside of you. Put your arm around them. Encourage them. These were two very gifted people in the congregation. And they were having an impact. They were at an impasse. They had an interpersonal issue between the two of them, and it was dividing up the church. The church at Philippi was becoming split because some were lining up behind Euodia, some were lining up behind Suntiki, and Paul says, listen, listen, I urge you, you, you come to each one of them and encourage them, look at what it says, to live in harmony in the Lord. Literally, in the Greek, it says this, euodia uh, parakaleo and syntiki centu- parakaleo, and it literally says to have the noose of Christ, to think what it is to be in Christ, go to this woman who is creating an upset and talk to her about what it means to think with the mind of Christ. And to go to this woman and to talk to her what it means to think with the mind of Christ. And it's translated to live in harmony in the Lord. But literally, it states, have them frontos is the word here. Frontal lobe, frontos, the word. Have this in your mind, you odia. What does it mean to think about being in Christ? And the same thing for suntiki. Now, there is the context of this whole thing right there. There is an upset. Now, I don't know why I am certain these women, by everything that he says here, because he comes and he calls them true companions uh, literally, they were leaders in the church. I don't know why it is. Now I've said this before. This is one of the greatest questions that I've always had. Why is it that the most gifted and talented people are as useless as whatever you fill in the blank are useless because they never display the fruit of the spirit? They're gifted, they're talented, they're able to do, and yet you have to go and take them out of a position because they never can get along with anybody. They're always unsung, they're always abrasive. Well, That's what he says to them. Now, watch what he does because now he's going to give three imperatives, three commands to the church. Number one, he's going to come and say in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. He says this is the command that I give you in the midst of a situation that is a raging fire in the church in Philippi is that you do this. You rejoice in the Lord. No situation is beyond the Lord's control. That should make us rejoice. I visited four of, of six families this past yesterday, and I want to tell you something. I could tell you about each one of these situations that I walked into, each four of these, that were, that were situations of health issues, and some are not very good, but I can tell you this. I heard testimony, 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 testimony of them rejoicing in the Lord regardless of what was going on in them physically. I'm so thankful for our church. I'm so thankful for our congregation. That was not work, that was a pump up of Mac Brunson yesterday to go visit these four families and to hear them rejoice in the midst of physical crisis in their lives. Yes, amen. See? You got a voice in here. And so he says that. Just remember, nothing is too difficult for God in your life. Nothing is too that. So rejoice. And it's as if he says, you missed what I'm telling you. He says it again. Rejoice. That's an imperative. It's a command. Paul is telling the church to do this. Number two, here's the second command, and it's this. In verse five, be considerate to all people. Now, the NASB has be gentle. Let your gentle spirit. Now, we're going to come to gentleness and the fruit of the Spirit here shortly. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Now, let me show you something that's kind of interesting to me that I found to be interesting. In verse five, he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And then he comes in verse 6, let your requests be known to God. Let all men know how gentle you are, how considerate you are, and let God know what all your requests are. What a way to live. So he comes, and that's the whole concept of the word right there, is considerateness. Be considerate to one another. Be gentle with one another. Give way to each other. Uh, let the other, what, what does Paul say? I think it's in Rom, in Romans. Give preference to your brother. Give honor to your brother. Be considerate. Think of him. Think of her. Think of them first. And let that be known about you, that when you die, that that's the way you live. We, we've talked in the last couple of days about um, some folks, uh, You know, having been with family, we talked about some folks that when they died, all you could say is they were not very considerate. And their lack of consideration for others has left turmoil. They can't come back and do anything about it now. Uh, They can't come back and set it right. They can't come back and make up for the contentiousness that they had before they died. Don't die in contentiousness. Die in consideration of other people. So that everybody can honestly stand up in your funeral and say they thought of everybody else but themselves. That's what he's saying right here. He comes and he says, Listen, let your gentle spirit, and the reason is the Lord is near. God hears every word you speak and every thought you think. That ought to terrify us. The Lord is near. That's either an encouragement or that is a scary, very scary thought. Now, let me give you the third imperative that he comes to. Look at this in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Now, he's given three commands right here. Number one, rejoice in the Lord always. Number two, be considerate and let all men know of your consideration, remembering that the Lord is near. And number three, be anxious for nothing. Be stressed out about nothing. Uh, don't, don't let the anxieties of life consume you. I, I really was, I graduated uh, Furman University in 80 and then went on to Southwestern and graduated from Southwestern in 85, I think it was, and, uh, you know, with a master's and, and uh, went out to pastor my first church and right through the 80s, do you remember what was coming about through the 80s? The yuppies. Young urban professionals, everything was about the yuppies, how they dressed, how they socialized, how they went to work, what they did, all these, you know who the yuppies were? The yuppies were the kids of the hippies. So all of the generation that sat, sat in against the establishment had children now who are going off and they're running the establishment, the young urban professionals, well, do you know what they came to by the end of the 1980s? The duppies, the depressed urban professionals, because just like their parents who found that reacting negatively toward authority never found satisfaction, that now they're embracing all of this, you know, embracing the man, embracing, you know, the economy, all of that, that it leaves you as empty as well. And so they were as depressed and discouraged and unhappy as they could possibly, as they could possibly be. So all the things of life that we think, hasn't, hasn't this just added joy to your life? Huh? (laughs) Hasn't this become the, the sheer joy of life right here? I can take my blood pressure with it. I guarantee it's at the roof right now. Um, you, you can do, I can take your sugar with this thing. You can find out what your money is doing. Let me tell you what it's doing, nothing. It's, it's gone. By the way, if you hadn't looked lately, it's gone. You know, I can check all kinds of stuff. I can keep up with news. Isn't that a great blessing in life that I can keep up with the news everywhere? Hasn't this brought just pure joy to life? Amen, I wish I could, my, my brother. Let me, let, me, let me tell you, all the things that we thought were the things that would be so wonderful in life have created such anxiety for us. Now, I want you to listen to me. The fruit of the Spirit, peace. God uses his peace to insulate us against the anxieties, and the interpersonal fights of life. His peace in two areas. Really, I'm just honed in on two areas in the area of these interpersonal relationship because that's the context that it's given in and, uh, and uh, all of the stress and the anxiety of life. Now, I'm gonna give you two quick things. Number one, I'd like to give you three, but I'm gonna give you two, and I might end up just giving you one. So look with me at verse seven because I'm just gonna begin to pick apart verse seven. I've led you up to it through verse four, five, six. Now here you come in verse seven and he's going to talk about here the insulation of divine origination. I have an insulation around my life. Where does it come from? It comes from God. Look at what he says, and the peace of God. Do you notice that? Only time you'll read that in the New Testament. Now look down at verse 9. If you get to the end of verse 9, it speaks of the God of peace. Now you read that in Romans, you read that in Colossians, you read that here in Philippians, you'll read that all over the place in the New Testament, but when it comes to the peace of God, this is the only time right here. By the way, over in Colossians chapter 3, you're going to read about the peace of Christ. It's used only one time. So you've got this whole thing right here, the peace of God. And what he says is this. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and God will answer your prayer exactly as you pray it. It doesn't say that. It does not say that at all. When you read this and it says, "You, you do not be anxious But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanks, you make your request known to God. It doesn't say God will answer your prayer exactly as you pray it. Now, let me let let you in on something. God always answers prayer. It's just not always the way you pray it. And you ought to be thankful for that. We ought to be mindful enough to say, thank you, God, that you didn't answer that crazy prayer that I I should have been praying more in your will than for my will. But he says this, that when you make your request known to God, regardless of how God answers the prayer, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the word guard there I won't even be able to get to this morning, but I want you to understand that it means a fortress he builds a fortress around your life so that when I get what I pray for or I don't get what I pray for, I am comfortable because I've taken it to God and God gives me peace with my prayers. Regardless of how he answers it. But now what I want you to see is this. Let me give you a couple of things here. Let me let me just show you something here let me let me show you what it means when it speaks of the peace of God because see let me tell you that is in the genitive position which means it is possessive god possesses this peace it is god's peace it's not the government's peace it's not the you know the tax revenue peace it's not the political peace it's not the medical peace it's not in This is God's peace. It is the peace that belongs to God, the peace that is our God and Savior. You'll see that in the second part of this when I get down to verse nine. It is the peace of God. That's what it is. Now, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you not as the world gives, give I unto you. Therefore, let not your heart be troubled and be not afraid. He says, I'm leaving you my peace. Possessive right there. This is the peace that comes from me. This is the peace that is mine. This is the peace that is of the Father. I leave this. It's nothing to do with the world. Now, there are two things about that that I want you to see, two two aspects of that peace. There are far more than two, but I can only give you two this morning. Number one, it's a peace, literally, that pulls life together. When God gives you his peace, when you take all of your requests to him, you leave it there with God the Father, he gives you peace because your mind is on him. Listen, he gives you this peace when you're walking in his spirit When you're following his will, I pray, I take it to God, I leave it there with God, he then gives me peace. Doesn't talk about him answering my prayer, but he gives me peace. And his peace is the peace that brings life together. Now, I'm gonna show you that back in Luke. If you've got your Bibles, go with me back to Luke chapter 10 for just a minute because there's a great illustration right here. Luke chapter 10. You've got uh, two women, sisters. They remind me of the Morrison sisters in Mayberry. (laughs) One is always doing what they, the other was always doing the opposite. The two Morrison sisters who were making moonshine. But Martha and Mary were not, which was good. (laughs) And uh, chapter 10 of Luke, verse 41, you know, Martha was distracted by all of her preparations. Verse 40, she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care for me? My sister has left me to do all the serving alone. Tell her to get up and help me. And the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Now, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying you're running off in 50 different directions, how many times do we say that? I've said it this week uh, about my own self. Man, I've got so much to do. I'm going off in 50 different directions. I'm running to do this. I'm running to do that. I'm running to do this other over here. And it just... and what does that do? That just heightens the anxiety and the stress in life. Then we start trying, I can't get this done. It's too much. Why in the world did we do this? I've got to hurry up and get through this so I can run off and do this other thing. I've got to stop this in the middle so I can go do this thing over here. That was Martha. She's running around, breaking her neck, trying to take care of everything. And the Lord said to her, listen, Mary has chosen, listen, one thing, one single thing. Now, can I give you a little bit of an older man's wisdom to those of you that are under 60? Life is a lot better when you come to the place where you just focus in on the one thing uh, God's given you to do. Just the one thing. Now, I'm going to tell you, as pastor of your church, I have one single focus, and it makes my life so much sweeter. I pastored first Dallas, and I was running in 50 different directions. I pastored first Jacksonville. I was running in 50 different directions. I came here, and I determined I would know nothing but sermon preparation among you, <laughs> that that's all I'm going to do. I can't, Listen, I ain't got the strength to do anything else. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna focus on one thing. Now, that's the one thing I do for this church. Now, some people here may disagree. I don't care. God didn't call you to be the pastor, He called me. I've got one thing I've got to do, and that is feed you. I, it's one thing to do, feed you. The second thing that I do, pastor you, I do nothing with the finance committee, I do nothing with the personnel committee. I do nothing with Jeff's job that he does in it. I don't do any of that. I do two things here: I'm going to work on my sermons, and I'll pastor you to the best of my ability. And the rest of it <laughs> I can't worry with it. You don't, hear, you don't hear the youth minister here running around. The pastor's in my office every day asking, "Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you doing the Because Mac Brunson's not going to do that. Hire competent people. Leave them alone to do their work. So, what were we talking about? (laughs) Do one thing. Chuck, is that true? How many times I come to your door and bang it You got to tell me now, Chuck, what you going to be doing today? I got to know. You got to report it to me. I don't do it. I just don't do it. He does well on his own. One thing. Mary is doing one thing. She's focusing on. And let me tell you something. You say, well, how will I know God's peace in that? Well, I'll come to it in a minute. I'll I'll give it to you in a minute. So just see this. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer, you make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is this whole concept that the peace of God does this. It pulls all things together so that you're not running in 50 different directions. Now, let me show you the second thing that it does, and it's this. It brings order. I don't know if you've ever figured it out, but our God is a God of order. All through creation, there is order, order, order. Out of the chaos Out of all of that dark, troubled turmoil and chaos, God brings what? Light, and then he separates the land from the waters, and then he begins just methodically and orderly building this planet, building this universe by speaking it into existence. You get over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul has got more problems in the Corinthian church than any pastor should ever have to deal with but he comes in chapter 14 because they've got a disruption in their worship. They've had a disruption of every kind in every kind of way. But in chapter 14, they've got a disruption in the worship service. You've got people popping up, speaking in tongues here, here, here. Somebody trying to give an interpretation. Somebody else trying to give. You've got chaos in the midst of the congregation. And Paul comes and listen to what he does. He says, God is not a God of confusion. Look at this. But of peace. And the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, says this. All things must be done properly and in order. There is an order to what we do. When God's peace comes in, it brings order. Now, let me tell you what that will do. It will bring tranquility to you. Order brings a tranquility to life. I know what I'm going to do. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations right here. If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11... Now, I'm I'm just going to tell you the story. David is in trouble. He's living in sin. But what I want you to see is that, you know, he calls for Uriah to come back. Uh, Bathsheba's pregnant. He calls her husband to come back from the war, specifically Uriah, because he wants Uriah to go home and spend the night with his wife, uh, which Uriah will not do, utterly righteous man. But when Uriah comes in, David asks him an interesting question. He says this how is the shalom of Joab? Now, that's interesting. That just catches your attention because Joab is the, he's the George Patton of the old, of David's day. He's fighting a big battle. And he says to Uriah, well, in the middle of this big battle, how is the shalom of my general, the peace of my general? Which will show you this. Shalom doesn't mean the absence of conflict around you. It refers to the absence of conflict in you. You can have peace in your life while hell is breaking out all around you. You know what that's called? Genitive of possession. Possession peace of God. I love, to stat, I, I love to read history. I love Napoleonic history. I love Roman history. I love history of the American Revolution. I love history of the Civil War. I love the way generals will move and put soldiers on the field. Alexander the Great did this. And in fact, he got it from his father, Philip of Macedon. The Romans copied it And it became pretty much the way they did war all the way down through the Civil War. What you would do is this. You would line men up in a formation and they would march into the face of battle. Now, the thing is this. Battle is just crazy. Things are happening everywhere around you. But do you know what good drill sergeants teach a soldier to do? What a great drill sergeant will teach a Marine to do? You shut out everything else but one thing. What is that? We got a Marine in here? One thing. What do you do? You listen for the voice of your commanding officer. That's what you do. You don't listen to everything else that's going on. Did you know at the height of the Battle of Gettysburg on the third day, July 3rd, at the height of Pickett's Charge, as they made it to the crest of Cemetery Ridge, four Hundred men a minute were being shot, either killed or wounded. Do you know what they did because they'd been so trained in battle is that when the man to the right of you fell or to the left of you, you closed up ranks and you kept moving. What does that? Order. Order. Order does that. Chaos ensues when you break order. And everybody begins to turn and run in every direction. No battle is ever won that way. That's what he is saying right here. That in the intensity of life, when you are dependent on God, he gives you a peace that literally when life is falling down around you, you are able to maintain that peace and that order that brings a tranquility and a strength to your life. Now, that's amazing to me. That's interesting to me how God can do that and will do that. Listen, God, don't forget this, is not the God of confusion. He's the God of peace. Now, let me give you the second thing that Paul speaks of when he speaks of peace. He comes and he speaks of this designation of the kind of God that we worship. Now look at what he says at the end of verse nine. Or let me just read verse nine to you. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What kind of God do we serve? Well, I know he's love because I'm told in scripture God is love, but what does Paul say right here? The God Of peace. Our God is a peaceful God. Our God longs to be at peace with us. Our God sent his son to die for our sins so that he could be at peace with us and we would be at peace with him. That is the peace of divine origination. But let me show you a second thing. And the second thing is this that insulation of God's peace goes beyond human imagination. Look at the second part of verse seven. He says, the peace of God which surpasses Uper echo is the word. Uper means above or on or on top. Echo means I have. This is this is something that. That hold or to hold it holds above. Something that holds above. There is something that is above, that is held above us, and that is this comprehension of the peace of God. It goes beyond our comprehension. I can't conceive it. The word there comprehension is noose, which means mind. It, It literally The peace of God is held above our mind. We can't understand it. We can't grasp it. We can't get a hold of it. It goes beyond our ability. He says this, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, it builds a fortress around your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Centuries are placed around our mind. Centuries are placed around our heart. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Man, just let that guard your mind. Isaiah 26, three, the steadfast in mind thou will keep in perfect peace. Why? Because he trusts in You. For so many of us, our human ability and our ingenuity are things that we rely on, and they cannot get you out of most things in life. But God can. God can. I don't know if you remember, I remember this very well. Um, I was in Dallas this happened. We were experiencing a lot of this among our missionaries. March 18, 2002, a Baptist church in Islamabad that Baptists had planted had some of our personnel there, Jeff and Cindy Womble. They had a six-year-old boy by the name of Brandon. They were all there in the service that morning when a couple of terrorists walked into the service. One began throwing grenades I want you to listen to what Jeff said in the midst of all that. Our firestorm began one Sunday morning when a young man entered our worship service and began tossing grenades. As we hit the floor, I covered my wife's head and shoulders with my body, bracing for the blast. Three other explosions occurred, including one just to our right from a suicide bomber. We were immediately evacuated from the country. My son required two brain surgeries, and my wife required six surgeries on her leg. I had a surgery because I had blown eardrums. But my wife and son had three months of physical therapy after their surgeries. Here's how we had victory in the storm. Immediately, we relied on and experienced God's presence, and he quoted Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now listen to what he says. With his presence comes great peace. Now let me just stop right there. Do you remember what the definition for revival is? I gave you, Dr. Richard Owen Roberts said, simply the presence of God in the midst of his people. The presence of God in the midst of his people. With his presence comes great peace. Peace. He himself is our peace, Ephesians 2, 14. When the the smoke cleared on that March Sunday morning, we saw that an unexploded grenade had landed just two feet from us. God just protected us in the storm. The day the church was bombed, we learned that God is always present. And with that knowledge comes peace. The presence of God brings the revival of peace. Let's stand. Boy, no generation has sought peace more than our generation. We look for peace of mind, peace of conscience, peace of of heart, peace of tranquility. A peace from all kinds of stuff, peace between nations, peace between family members, peace between church members. We look for peace and we keep coming up empty, 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 empty. Peace only comes with the presence of God. What about you this morning? Do you know the peace of God? Do you know the God of peace? It's simple to say if you don't know the God of peace, you will never experience the peace of God. Until you come to Jesus Christ, who is our peace, the Bible says, He is our peace. You'll never know peace of heart, or peace of mind, or peace of conscience. How about this morning? To come and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To step out and say, this morning I come to say yes to following Jesus Christ. To come and confess my sins. To ask him to forgive me. And then to step forward without any shame whatsoever. And to say, today I follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to do that, to make that decision, to come right now. If you're struggling without peace, you need to ask yourself, why? Because he is our insulation. He is our peace. Father, bless the preaching of your word. Bless the hearing of your word by your people. Bless our fellowship with peace. Bless our leadership with peace. Bless, Father, all that we do here for your glory with peace. And Father, I pray that everyone who steps foot on the campus of this, your church, they would sense this is what I've longed for. A place of peace. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Would you come this morning? Would you just slip out and make that decision for Christ? Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.